0: Today on The Art Dealer Show, you will hear gallery owner and art
1: publisher Thad Markham say... You know, I had a saying that the the more it sells, the prettier it gets to me. Uh And and it's not true just from the money standpoint. It literally looks prettier. (laughs) Welcome to The Art Dealer Show.
0: My name is Danny Stern, and today on the show we have gallery owner of Artifacts Gallery in Cambria, California, and also publisher of the Out of the Bull series, Thad Markham. And if that name, Thad Markham, sounds familiar to you, it's because you might have heard part one of this conversation. And if you haven't heard part one of this conversation, well, I recommend you go back and take a listen to it. But not not just yet. You don't have to listen to it in order. This will be fine. You can hang in here. Uh, But what it was about in that first conversation had a lot more to do with Thad's background, how he got into the business, and uh, what brought him to become an art dealer. And it's an interesting path. It's well worth listening to. If for nothing else, it reminds you that art dealers come from all different shapes and sizes and have all different types of origins. But this conversation, as interesting as the last one is, is also a little bit more nuts and bolts. We get into talking about, well, first, what it took to survive the Great Recession of 2008, because God knows there's a lot of people I know in this business who didn't, and he is not one of those. And he, bit by bit, figured out what in his business truly worked and what didn't. More importantly, he brings to us a lot of lessons that he learned in the process. We also talk about his unique talent, for being able to be just very practical. Practical about what works in his gallery and what doesn't, and not getting too emotionally invested in the things that don't. Even if it was his own great idea, his own decision to bring something in, or an artist that he really loved, be just as okay with getting rid of them simply because they're not functional in his gallery. And then we get into one more topic. And this is one that was close to my heart, and quite frankly, I have to confess, we got into it because, well it's a topic that I introduced in lots of past conversations, based upon an observation I've made in this business, of beyond the quality of the art, beyond the quality of the gallery itself, great presentations, there is a lot to be said for, well, this is going to be one of those sermons. This is going to be one of those at least long conversations. So, uh, why don't don't we take a little drop-in over at the old art dealer bar and And I can get into what I've got on my mind about this one. Okay. You comfortable? Are we all seated here? Have we ordered up a drink that's just perfect for the moment? Because what I'm about to get into... I've been thinking about it for weeks before recording this, before stepping in front of this microphone and uh the reason i've been thinking about it for a long time is i'm i i feel rather strongly about it like i said it's a subject that came up with that and i uh and i think it's an important observation but it's also a couple other things and i'm still feeling my way out on this podcast i'm still trying to figure out who i am in it and uh what our relationship is uh are we comfortable with the fact that we might say some things that it's not entirely sexy about our business and we have to assume the fact that some folks are going to be listening in who are not art dealers or even artists that might be just the collectors themselves and do we want this kind of thinking out in the ether because and does it serve us well or maybe it does maybe maybe by knowing what we do is not entirely magic uh, maybe a little bit more respect comes for it, what the role is we take in selling an artist's work. Uh, the other part is, as I explain this, uh, this line of thinking, at as, as least as I see it, it's not going to feel like at first that it's about art dealers. But, but trust me, it is. I also think some people are going to disagree with me a lot. And if you do, uh, I want to hear from you. So here I go. Remember, what I'm about to talk about is about art dealing, so hang in there with me. You might have heard somewhere along the line in movies or in the news about the tradition that street gangs have in initiating new members, and that initiation is typically killing someone. Again, this is about art dealing, so keep with me. The reason why you have a member go out there and kill someone in the real grand analysis of this is not what you may think. It's not because you want that member to prove to you that they're a killer. That actually is something that's not critically important to most gangs. It's also not because you want them to be of your type that maybe everybody in here has this shared experience, that we've all done something grisly and gruesome uh, in the name of our gang. And, and, And that has maybe a little bit of it, but not entirely the whole story. The reason you have someone go out before joining your gang, kill someone, is because it's an unspeakable act. It's the worst thing a human being can do. And you might be saying right now, well, isn't that the whole point of gangs? And I'm going to tell you, it isn't. Gang members are people. They're human beings. They're not sociopaths like you and me. They're just people in poor neighborhoods who have to do what they have to do. But the problem is you need loyalty. And here's something that comes out of when you ask someone to do something against their own nature. They have to justify it. They have to have a rational reason in their head for why they did this heinous act. It's so that they can go to bed at night for the rest of their lives. And that rationalization is given to them if they didn't come up with it on their own. That these are their family members. That they're doing it to prove that they are a member of something wonderful, something great. That these people have their back that they're going to take care of them, that they're going to provide them with an income, that they're going to allow them and their other true family members survive, that they'll be able to make sure that their mother doesn't get kicked out of her crappy apartment. And these are worthwhile things. And if you're in a desperate enough situation, you can use the notion that you killed someone, something that if any one of us did ourselves, talking right now, did, that we would never be able to go to sleep again, at least not the same way that we have up until that point. So that is the reason for it. Now, what does that have to do with art dealing? Well, let me go on to a slightly less grisly version of this. You might be familiar with the organization Zappos. Zappos is known for one thing in particular. Now, on the surface, what they're known for is selling shoes and other things like that, purses and bags and such uh, online. Uh, But they're also known for phenomenal customer service. It all takes place in their call center in Las Vegas. And the people who work for that organization are passionate about what they do. And they don't pay those people particularly well. They get something a little bit over minimum wage. It's a nice job. It's a comfortable job. They're well taken care of at work, but it's just a job. But here's the difference here's what has brought out of those people that incredible customer service, and not only incredible customer service, but an unparalleled low turnover. So, what do they do? Well, first of all, they start by giving them two weeks of paid training upfront. And at the end of that two weeks, they offer every single person who has gone through that training a $1,000 to quit. They say, look, this job might not be for you. You've been here for two weeks. You might have seen it might not be a place you're comfortable with. Maybe you just decided you don't like to answer phones all day long. We don't want you if that's the case. And we're so invested in that that we will give you $1,000 right now just to quit. If you're the kind of person who's going to work for $14, 15 $16 an hour, whatever it is that they pay over at that call center, being offered $1,000 right up front to just walk away, that can be pretty enticing. Very few people take that $1,000. And why would they? They've just been indoctrinated for two weeks. They've made some friends there. They're getting kind of comfortable. They know where it is. You go and get lunch, and there's probably free cookies on Friday. I don't know, but the place probably seemed like a really nice place to be. The problem is, and this is the reason why they offered the $1,000, and believe it or not, it's the very same reason why gang members have new recruits go out and kill someone so that they can be a member too, is because they have to rationalize the choice. They have to deal with the fact while they're in a position, maybe already in debt, might be in a position where they can barely afford the gas to put in, into their gas tank to get to that job to go answer those phones, they have to somehow rationalize why they walked away from a $1,000, probably the biggest number that some of these people have ever seen on a single check that also has their name on it. And what is that rationalization? The rationalization is, this is my place. This is exactly the kind of job I want to be doing. I am going to have the time of my life. I am a big supporter of this company, whatever it is. And that translates into somebody who's got to support that decision. Because you can't just come up with that rationalization and then go and quit a month later, two months later. And you can't go on and badmouth the company and tell yourself in the morning that this place sucks and I don't want to go to that job and I hate talking to these people because that would disintegrate the rationalization that you're using to defend what was a very difficult decision of giving up $1,000. The same way that gang member has to come up with a rationalization for killing someone. Okay. Okay. So what does this have to do with art dealing? Well, I'll I'll tell you. And it's a lesson I started to learn very early in my own career. And probably only just now, just in recent past couple years, I started to fully understand it. And part of it was because I learned those other things that I told you about how Zappos operates and about how gangs operate. I know you never expected those two to be brought up in the same conversation. I somewhere along the line figured out this. Now I, I I've mostly worked when I've worked in galleries, in galleries that are in heavily touristed areas, specifically San Francisco for the most part, but a couple other places too. And I would have these experiences where you would have a couple come in. And they would get very excited about a piece of artwork. And maybe you had 10 minutes with them and you would tell them about the artist and the price. And they say, yeah, it's a reasonable price. And they get into it and they take your information. And, well, it's their vacation weekend in town. So they want to zip off and go see some other sites. And and so they're going to go out quickly. And the odds of you ever selling that person is relatively small. And part of it's because they're going to see a lot of other things that distract them, and by the time that they get home, real life is going to catch up with them. They're going to see the bills stacked up on the table, and remember that the washer and dryer needs to be replaced, or the roof, or, you know, the water heater, or they forgot that they had, you know, you're disappearing in that malaise of real life. The importance of your artwork has already vanished. The truth is, it vanished from the moment they walked out of your gallery door. But there would be times that I would have people in the gallery and it would translate into a sale. And it would translate into a sale usually after a couple hours. And somewhere along the line, I realized that there's an equation here. It almost looks algebraic. That time times capability times interest, whatever it is, equals purchase. But the most important factor in the beginning of that equation was time that I knew the longer that I had someone in the gallery talking about anything, that they were more likely to buy a piece of artwork. Now, early on, I would say, well, that was because of some sort of accumulation of information that they were experiencing, that I was making sure that I got over whatever objections it was that they had, and I had the opportunity to shake all of those out. Or we had the opportunity to at least go into the full depth of making that decision process there in the gallery versus somewhere else at home where it was a lot less likely to take place. And the problem with that is I had yet to separate my own ego from this equation. Now, I'm not saying that all these things aren't important. I mean, if you've ever heard me in the past on this podcast, and it's not the first episode you're listening to, you know what my feelings are about the importance of the art dealer in the equation, particularly the ability to do a really good presentation. And I'm not stepping away from that at all. But nothing is more powerful than time itself. And you're saying, well, what does time have to do with it? And what does time have to do with the equivalency of a person of low income turning away $1,000 or more importantly, somebody who becomes a gang member having to kill someone and make that rationalization? And the answer to it is rationalization. And what are they rationalizing? Well, they're rationalizing why they just spent an entire afternoon of their trip in your gallery. They paid for some plane tickets, they paid for a hotel, they're going to have expensive meals, and they're in a town maybe they have never even seen before. But for some reason, they sat in some shop. Forgive me, it's a gallery. But it's a shop like any other shop, too, in some sense. It's the same time that they would have spent also next door in the t shirt shop and the store beyond that, in the shop that sells jewelry and the shop beyond that that sells teacups. It's about time investment. And at some point, after they have spent one, two, three hours even in your gallery, they'll come to that realization. We just invested a huge chunk of time of our very valuable vacation. I don't get to get away that often. Work is usually intense. Yes, it's my weekend, but there's usually work stacked up on the weekends too, and I don't even know if I have to be available or on call, and God knows we certainly don't always have a sitter for the kid. Time is precious. It's a commodity for people. I know it's a cliche, but it's very important to keep in mind in the context of this story. They need to come up with a rationalization, with why did they spend the time with you? And if they walk out of that gallery and not buy the piece of art, if they go home and don't call you back and buy the piece of artwork, then they just hung out in some guy's shop on their valuable vacation. So the only logical rationalization, the only thing that's going to allow them to sleep comfortably at night the thing that will outweigh, you know, the the tossing and turning of why did I necessarily buy that piece or did we need that piece of artwork, has to fall into the form of because this was incredible, this was a fantastic gallery, the person who presented it was unbelievably knowledgeable, and the pace of artwork that we found is by far one of the best, and we're lucky that we came in at a time that that piece was available versus being sold to someone else, and that we get the excitement after this to bring home something tangible, that it's not just a meal that gets digested and forgotten, it's not just some fading memories of walking along, you know, a scenic path in this beautiful city that's not just a tour we took through some museum, it's something that we'll have in our lives forever, and we'll get to go home and tell our friends the stories about it. That's why we did that. It was the best three hours we ever could have spent in our vacation. So like I said, tell me, did we step over the line? Am I a cynic? This may be an advertisement, but I am not making this up. I just got off the phone with Allison Zucker-Perlman from Relevant Communications. Relevant Communications, if you're not familiar with them, is a team is a firm specializing specifically in publicizing our industry, the art industry. She works with galleries from, from coast to coast, artists that you do know the names of right off the bat. And I'm talking about folks like Peter Max. And she works with my own artists. Right now, we're planning a show with our artist, Opie Aderstad. He happens to be the sanction artist of Major League Baseball. And we're going to be out there in Chicago featuring his victory painting that he did for them. And who else would I trust this with? Well, again, it's Alison Sucker perlman of Relevant Communications. They know this business inside and out, and she was the first number that I grabbed from my Rolodex. If you want a tip, take a card out of Danny's Rolodex, Allison Sucker perlman from Relevant Communications. You can see them at relevantcommunications.net. This is an ad, too. And also, like the last one, it's also something from the true life of my own. You know where I'm going to be in April? I know, I just told you, Chicago. But after Chicago, I'm going to be in New York City. Why I'm going to be in New York City. I'm going to be there for Art Expo, a fair put on by the fine folks of Redwood Media Group. Art Expo has for years been the go-to show of our industry. Like many of their shows, it's the place where you go to meet people who collect art. It's a place where you go to meet the people who have galleries that put the art in them. It's a place where you go and you find new artists. It's everything coming together that's supposed to come together. Go where I'm going to go. Come by and say hi. If you see me walking the aisles, I'll try to identify myself. Art Expo, New York City, put on by the Redwood Media Group. Go to their website, artexponewyork.com, and get the details. Is this another ad, Danny? Yeah, it's another ad. And again, it's true. What is my true story? Just the other day, I'm reading my emails, and I got an email from the owner, and I can't say the name, unfortunately, the owner of a big art industry magazine, and it simply said this, Danny, what does it take to advertise onto your podcast? I'd like to be a part of that. And you know what I had to do? I had to write back and say, I I would love to have you come on as a sponsor, but I can't. Here's the irony. The reason I couldn't is for the exact same reason why he called me in the first place. The next sentence in his email is he wrote this. Because I've been looking at your ads in Art World News, and then I started listening to your podcasts, and they're pretty damn good. He found out about my podcast in Art World News, happens to be a sponsor of this podcast, one that we're rather proud of, as a matter of fact. The ads in Art World News do exactly what they're supposed to do. They got attention for the advertiser, me, the podcast. The reason he couldn't be in the podcast is, well, because I'm already devoted to uh, my uh, partner advertiser at Art World News. Sad little circle, but it worked for me. Anyway, Art World News, if you're not reading it, you should be. This is the end of the advertisements. Have you recovered from me somehow creating some sort of correlation between murder and uh, doing the act of selling art? I I, I hope you have, but if you haven't, I understand. And um, again, I'd like to hear from you. But let's take a move on to our conversation with uh, Thad Markham. As I said in the introduction, he's the owner of Artifacts Gallery in Cambria, California. He's also the publisher of the Out of the Bull series, he also has some pretty profound thoughts about what it takes to run a successful art gallery. I'm going to stop at this point describing the things that he says because, well, we've got him saying it.
1: I think what, what's going on with, with, this, with this Internet, with this economy, no one can really figure out where art is going, what's, what's mm-hmm. happening and, and we're in tremendous flux, but, but that's, that's what makes successful businesses. I mean, I know, uh, during the heyday, during the, uh, you know, early two thousands, mm-hmm. late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. it was just, it was just so easy. And, and, and as art gallery just started to think that we were genius, you know, I, i certainly fell into that. I thought I'm, I'm just so good at this. I'm so right. talented. Right. I, mean, I make all this money and yeah. I, I find the great stuff. And you know, all that came crashing down and uh, turns out I, I wasn't so smart. I was pretty lucky. And and I've often said, you know, the next time that we're extremely successful, it'll be f- from hard work, from knowledge, from applying what I know. And it's it's showing to be true. I mean, we're starting to see things grow now. All those folks that that were just there taking the ride, they're gone. And the people that are there now are smart, mm-hmm. ingenious. They're looking for different options, pushing the envelope, trying different and new stuff. And, and so this flush out has been good. And, and I think that the, the new galleries that are out there are going to be bigger and stronger you know, moving forward because of this, this hard time that we've been through. But it's, it is. It changes consistently. And that's the one thing I, I see unsuccessful galleries not adapting to that change.
0: Well, I know a lot of galleries out there who, they worked very hard, but they became experts in representing the specific programs or artists that they were on. And because they never took the time to analyze what the core base reasons were that people buy art, or what that dialogue was, they found themselves flat-footed, you know, at the point that that program wasn't working anymore. Because it wasn't a basic, a base skill that they can transfer over to another artist.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm reminded of, you watch a squirrel when they cross the road. Yeah. They'll run halfway into the road, and then a car will come. Uh-huh. And they jitter back and forth, and then they almost always go back to where they came from. Right. Because that's the safe spot. <laughs> and I see that with... That's a great analogy. Well, yeah. it's true, and I see it over yeah. and over with art gallery owners, you know. And their brains will tell them that it's slow. Business is slow. People aren't buying anymore. And then I... I just see the same old stuff, you know, in their shops. And, and we also have this thing. Oh, it gets
0: even worse than oh. that. I'll talk, and I'm sure you're familiar with this too. When the economy went really bad, you know, a few years ago, the first thing they would do is try to figure out whatever they can to sell what was currently on their walls. Right. The second thing they did is they went looking into their storeroom. Because I no longer wanted to invest in anything new, right? You know, I said, "Well, I got all these old programs and I got all this old inventory. I sell it for anything; it's cash in my pocket." Right. And they went to this incredibly flawed logic of, "I know what I'll do in the worst economy possible. I'm going to try to sell what didn't sell ten years ago in its prime."
1: So true. (laughs) No, I'm guilty of that. I remember uh, at one point early in my art career and company called wild wings was around i don't know if you remember them they were Mm -hmm. a publisher way back when they got real famous with the duck stamp prints this is way back you know they
0: it looked kind of like audubons type stuff yeah Yeah. they just
1: ah, yeah just just during the wildlife boom of the kind of early 90s but they they were a big publisher and they were obviously hurting so they had the sale quote-unquote and prints that were normally quote-unquote you know $150 $150 that would retail for $300, you could uh-huh. buy for $10, $15. They just had tons of this bad inventory. Well, I thought, my goodness, this is such a great idea. I can buy these for $10, I can right. sell them for 300 So I invested a ton of money in, in that stuff. <laughs> and yeah, that, that didn't quite work out like I thought. You, you know? still have a stack of them? Uh, I think I finally threw them all away, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and at that point, I remember being at an art sales seminar, asking uh, the the lady who was giving the seminar. I said, "What do I do with this stuff? I can't, you know, I can't sell it. It's been on Uh it's been on the walls for a long time, and and I don't, you know, what do I do with it?" And she said, "Throw it away." She said, "The wall space is so valuable. Get rid of it. Get something else up there." And that's the same mistake I see people over and over. Right. You've got to constantly be, you know. Our theory is we get rid of the bottom ten to twenty percent the beginning of the year, we'll go analyze what, what are our least selling. And they're gone. They're gone. And we try something new. And it almost doesn't matter what. It's the, Again, it's that you don't know what it is. Try something different.
0: That's one thing I've always really respected about you, actually. And I mean this. Thank you. Among, above probably anyone else I know in the business, you are the least emotionally attached, not only to your inventory, but even to your own decisions. I've seen you go into something, being very excited about it, feeling very optimistic, as you should, you know, and then two years later, just look at the numbers and, go, shrug your shoulders, you go, well, I guess that wasn't working. And that's it. And just move right on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't know if it's a a blessing or a curse, but, um, you know, I had a saying that the, the more it sells, the prettier it gets to me. And it's not true, just from the money standpoint, it literally looks prettier. <laughs> I, I start to see yeah. in it what other people see, maybe.
0: Well, they really do educate you, though, don't they?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've
0: had this experience selling, you know, I sell, I represent a couple of sports artists, as you know. Yeah. And often I'll go to a gallery and art dealer's, by nature no surprise are not the most likely to be big sports fans mm-hmm. you know sure comes as a shock to no one out there right, right. and and they'll frequently say like typically in the training you might know, come in to kind of introduce them to the artist say i don't think i can sell this because i really don't know anything about sports and I always tell them i go this is the best thing about it
1: sports fans not only oh they want to teach you
0: they'll bring it right they want to teach you exactly <laughs>
1: Yeah, some of the most successful. And the worst you could
0: be is a person who knows more than they do, because you Absolutely. take the fun away of it from it. That's yeah. right.
1: No, and that's you know that's the thing that that I've learned is, uh, and this happened early on in a sales technique when I had an artist I knew nothing about, and I started talking to him about it, and the customer said, "Well, actually, did you know this?" And I said, "You know what? I didn't. I don't know much about this. Can you teach me about it?" And they just loved that. They loved that. They they wanted to buy it after they had taught me all about it. And for sure.
0: I, I even wonder, you got you got the gears working in my head. You know, before we started recording this, remember I brought up that point that I was reading in the book I shared with you about the power of someone having a sense of ownership before they buy. And I wonder if that plays exactly into that. That if as they're educating you about it and telling you why this is important and wonderful, yeah. they're in that process emotionally starting to take possession for it because they're becoming the advocate
1: yeah that's right they're they're actually speaking to themselves on the value of it
0: but they've also created a little bit of history with themselves in the piece you know you, they stood up for that piece so, so now there's a sort of relational history there
1: right yeah as they're speaking to you about it and they're, they see their own passion they realize well, if it's making me feel this passionate it must have yeah value to
0: me i'm just almost picturing it and i have to describe it because we're recording it it's like the customer literally putting out their arm and putting it around the painting like it's their buddy you know making the case like let me tell you about this guy
1: yeah it's true yeah well that's one of the reasons some of the shows we've had have been so successful is that the collectors are actually selling to each other oh yeah Uh, you know i have this one do you have this one yeah that's that's interesting
0: Actually I recently started encouraging galleries, you know, a couple of artists are available for the galleries to bring their collectors to their studio like the, you know bigger purchases. And one gallery started figuring this out on their own, although out of conversations we've had with them of gang it up with two people, never bring the customer up just by themselves. Oh interesting. Just if so there's one other person from the outside that doesn't have a vested interest in it, in the way that the dealer has, or the agent me has, or the artist has. Another person from off the street, you know, in quotes, uh, you know, that can advocate it and get excited about it. Yeah.
1: So when they go to the studio, they they bring uh, two collectors at the same time.
0: To... Right. They're not friends or anything. It's just right. you as the dealer identify two different couples who want to collect from that artist instead of setting up separate trips, putting them into one trip.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and there may be something in there as far as the sales technique goes when you have uh, just thought of, you know, two separate clients happen to be looking at the same artist at the same time mm-hmm. and introducing them. If you happen to, oh, do you guys know each other? You guys both collect this? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you would enjoy chatting with each other about that. Try to get that energy going. That's interesting. Well, it be interesting to see how that dynamic would work. And I think there's a lot of things at play. I've always been very
0: focused on that people need to defend certain decisions. There's a very specific psychology to that. One of them is just the decision of a time investment. Yeah. You know, we had We're once talked about, about yeah. right. You know, if, if someone's if you've entertained someone in your gallery during their vacation for a couple hours, yeah. you know, they eventually have to explain to themselves why they spent two hours in an art gallery on a one weekend trip. Yes. You know, I, I wonder when you get people to get on an airplane and fly out and get a hotel room and go to the gar- artist studio if already you have a bit of that oh, going on they have to and then if you put them together uh is there a certain need to defend that decision to someone else from the outside
1: huh. yeah it's just basic basic psychology and that yeah if if i've invested this much time i should have something to walk away with right yeah that's yeah, the psychology of the sale—you know—it's something for me that I haven't gotten into as much. It seems to be more of a natural thing. I, I honestly, with with me and my gallery, I I do have a true interest in them enjoying it, uh-huh. really getting satisfaction. Especially now that the gallery is successful, and 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 it's funny—the the more that this comes to play a part, the more successful we get, but the more that I don't feel the need to sell something um, but to just educate and have fun with the clients on it, um, the more they tend to want to buy. I mean, I remember specifically a client Mm -hmm. once that he was literally at the point where he would say, tell me what to buy and I'll buy it. And it didn't matter what the price was. It didn't matter. And and I honestly got to the point where I'd say, I think you've got enough. (laughs) And I truly believe that. I think, you know, your house is pretty full. You've already told me that you take stuff down to rehang stuff up again. And I really cared about this person, and it flipped the other way. That that sense of that I didn't need them, or I truly was not selling them, flipped the switch to them wanting much more. So if, you know, for me, I'm, this psychology of selling is has. I, I guess being a salesperson and being yeah. in the business, when I see any type of and we're kind of getting off topic, or changing topic here, but.
0: We're still talking about art galleries. Yeah,
1: it's true. (laughs) But seeing, you know, and I'm sure that the other art gallery owners out there will have this, but when you see the, uh, you know, the the basic techniques of, you know, well, which one do you like better?
0: Uh And,
1: uh, you know, which one do you want to take home with you today? These basic sales techniques, I I just want to roll my eyes and, uh, you know.
0: It's really backwards too. I've got a lot of experience of, of educating art dealers, having run galleries of my own, not just going around doing a little bit of it when I do trainings on my yeah. own artists, but more so when I used to hire artists. And and I used to always tell them, I said, you know, people come in from the outside and they need you to be an advocate. Yeah. They really do. They know they like things. That's not an issue. And they uh, uh, they came into an art gallery, which already kind of categorizes them a little bit. But most people feel incredibly unarmed. And they want some encouragement. And there's a balance. Right. No, I mean, right. you're you're kind of trying to sense out what it is they really like, because they should get what they really like, and you want to endorse that because that'll make them feel good. But at some point, you you really gotta take a forward position because I, and I watch this all the time. I think there's a very sizable percentage of the amount of sales that walk out the door. You yeah. know, the ones that are like, okay, we're going to have to go home and think about that or, you know, the walk out from... What was a real serious conversation about collecting? Yeah, Those, are, I think, are frequently situations where you hit the point of, uncom- of discomfort, where they don't have enough confidence to pull the trigger. Yeah, And there was a failing of the art dealer because they didn't take the driver's seat enough to give them that sense of what you're doing is right, you know, and this is not only do you like it, but I believe in you on that one. And I believe in this, and it can't be one of those. It's right because you like it sort of wishy-washy type of statements, no matter how emphatically you say it, you've got to make a point. You got to go, you know what? This artist is the best when he paints that kind of subject matter. And if you compare this one to that one, Look at that. I mean, it's all about this kind of color use, except in the piece you're looking at, he's just hitting it out of the park. The others are great, but you're feeling what's going on in this one.
1: Yeah. You know, you touch on a, on a good point. I, I, The best salespeople that I've had and the, the most success that I've had is, is you're truly not selling. Mm-hmm. Selling implies somebody purchasing something that they wouldn't necessarily have or maybe don't even necessarily want. But I tell my salespeople when, when you see somebody who's really interested in a piece yeah. and they are really interested and they really love it, they can afford it, first of all. If they've noticed the price, they don't typically stare, stand there and, and become educated and get involved if they can't afford it. They truly can't afford it. They're just, they want permission. Mm-hmm. They want somebody to tell them what they're doing is a smart and an okay thing. Mm-hmm. And if you can shift your sales from trying to sell them to get your commission to trying to let them have the permission to take this and enjoy it for their very short life that they have, that's when you're really, you're doing them a service. You're not doing yourself a service or the gallery a service by selling it. You're really doing them, giving them a gift, the gift of what I'm doing is right. What I'm doing is smart. What I'm doing is financially conscious and my life is short and I should enjoy this. You know, and and that's it. That's the difference between, for me, from a really good salesperson to somebody who's just trying to sell me something. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, that's been one of the successes of my own sales when I used to be on the floor and sell. Was I really would see like this person if they walk out of here and don't get it, it never even crossed my mind that I wasn't going to make them money. I actually was sad that they didn't do that for themselves. Right. And that's when I crossed the line from being pretty good at sales to outselling everyone else by 10 to one. Because I would really see the joy they were going to get it and and give them the permission to, to do it. I
0: love that word permission because they don't have your permission. Not the same tone for everybody, but the right one that comes out of your own mouth.
1: So uh, about five years into my career, I think a lady came in who was you know, doing something wonderful, you know, taking care of kids with cancer or adopting kids or foster parenting, something wonderful for the world, right? And I thought, well, what what the hell am I doing? I'm giving people stuff to put on their wall.
0: You talked to me when that was going on. Yeah, Yeah.
1: you know, and I read somewhere it said, you know, the the basics to anything is you have to believe what you're doing is good. Leave it blank. Just That's it. So you can can either look for something that you think is good or you can look for what is the good in what you do. You know, I, I, I really realized that many times what I do when I give somebody a piece of art or they purchase a piece of art is good. They really enjoy it. They really get great joy out of mm-hmm. out of it. I'm not trying to sell them. It shifted at that point. I, I saw like, oh, it and you, you really have to be honest with yourself. Does this person really want this? Or am I spinning this too too hard? And in sales, you can get so good. You can get so good that you can sell something to somebody that they don't want. But you can also get so good that you can identify when somebody truly does want something and give them permission to do it. And then enjoy the fact that you brought that into their life. And and that's it. I mean, and that just uplifts your spirits, that changes your whole perspective from being a grinding salesperson to being somebody who's doing good.
0: You know, as you've done a great job of describing what really sales should be, you know, that it should be something natural, should flow on its own, uh, with its own inertia you know, or momentum, I should say, from a, from the right place. This memory keeps on coming back in my head. Which is I, for a while, I used to run marathons. And I, I did it with a group that would bring in different specialists over time to kind of teach you different things about being a good runner. But one of the guys I brought in was, I don't even know what his specialty was, but he started framing what you did as a marathon runner in a way that completely revolutionized what I was doing. And they he said, you can think of running as this way of pushing up against something, that you got to pull your energy and you got to push yourself forward to gain that speed. Or you can start visualizing yourself on a down-tilting treadmill going around the world, and you're just falling down a hill with gravity. And just that mental image sure. of just moving with A natural force just pulling you along and falling into it instead of pushing up that hill changed everything. And it's kind of exactly what I'm seeing in the way you're describing really good art dealing. Right. Which is going where it's just naturally flowing it and seeing it that way.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what we all have to do with our careers, right? We have to feel like what we're doing is good. And if we don't, it's just a slow grind. Yeah. And it just becomes, you know, maybe that's why, you know, why I've been able to do this for almost 25 years now is is that there, there is a lot of there's a lot of good that goes on every day in our business. Typically, we're in a position where people are coming in. They're happy they're having fun. They're buying something that they don't need. They're buying something that they they want to feel yeah. good. Uh, they're trying to take their hard work at gaining this money and and then extract some joy out of it. And we're just helping them in that process. Yeah, that's the difference I've really seen between the best salespeople I've ever had and the ones that, that do good, that are slick, that are, you know, and, and boy, it's just, it's just not fun to be around a really slick, shady salesperson.
0: But it's the hardest way to do the job.
1: Oh, true. Know,
0: I, there, there's a gallery uh, that I work with, and, and their number one salesperson was one of those types of salespeople. And there was a day by, and then they always would tell you, know, he's our guy. He's, he's, if we didn't have him, we would go out of business kind yeah. of thing. And one day, for some reason, I had to hang around the gallery. I think I was waiting for one of the owners to come back and we were going to have a meeting. And I really got to listen to this guy go to work. And it was exhausting. Yeah. It was, he literally in this presentation with an exhausted tone said, I don't know what else I have to tell you. What else do I have to say to get you to buy this piece? I mean, he was using his exhaustion—even
1: the yeah.
0: <laughs> shame was in it—but he was using his exhaustion even as a sales tool. But the exhaustion was genuine, yeah. You know, and he was pulling everything out of the hat. There's only two of these left. By the way, he was selling a sadly one of my, you know, artists. You know, there was 300 of these left. <laughs> you know. The, the artist is going to be raising the price. We're not raising the price. Yeah. He was pulling every hack move, and I could just feel the energy of pushing that Sisyphean rock
1: up the hill. Gosh, and what do you do? Like, you know, this, this image of selling ice to Eskimos just came to mind. And, and the thought is, you know, well, once you have, then what? You know, we yeah. have one lady that loves this one artist and she sells a hundred pieces of this one artist. Well, she loves that artist. Not everything is going to be something that you love. But, but, you know. Same for clients. Absolutely. Not
0: every art dealer is going to work with every person walking in the front door. It's as simple as that.
1: That's true. But when you're selling art, you have to get your joy out of the people enjoying that. Not necessarily you enjoying that. And and that's it, because there is a subset of people who will love something that you hate. Get joy out of their joy, and then go a step further. Try to see what it is in that piece that they like. And next thing you know, you might start to like it yourself. And if you really don't think it's bringing value to them, then my goodness, get out. Do something different. Find something that you do think is good and brings joy to people Mm -hmm. and sell that. Really find out what it is that makes that different and makes it good and use it and believe in it and then give that gift to others. It's fantastic. I think
0: one of the most common pieces of advice I, always, I give these days, find your own voice. And what your own voice really means, I mean, on one level, it's what, what communicates. And another level, it's where your sincerity is. You know, not your presenting sincerity, but where your actual sincerity is.
1: It's true. People are, uh, I don't want to say smart, but their intuition is usually right on. They're very sensitive. Very sensitive. Yeah. We pick up a lot of cues. Yeah, when you generally, and you know, the best, most successful salespeople I've had, they just, they just really love a certain product. Mm-hmm. And and if they're good at selling everything, they really just love the people getting the joy out of it. And and people pick that up. Yeah. Long-term people pick it up.
0: But there's so much that comes along with that, and it gets back to your earlier points, which is... If I feel that you're comfortable in your own skin and I feel that you are naturally presenting yourself to me and with that naturalness and, you know, the no bullshit, you're actually getting excited about what you're talking about. I know that then has credibility, you know, because you can be excited about something in a fake version. Yeah. You know, in a constructed version, and it just won't work because if I'm sensing that it's you're you've pulled away credibility from it. You're almost going to be more effective being very believable and sincere and saying, I actually don't get excited about this thing that you attract, are attracted to, but I That's can tell it's you about. a lot of people love it. <laughs> a lot of people seem very happy with it. Even if it's, you're far that far removed from being able to get excited about it, you're probably better off delivering it that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I guess from an... I was thinking that would be an interesting thing to try you know (laughs) to do a little experiment saying you know what i actually don't care for that i don't think it's going to be very effective
0: but i think it's going to be more effective yeah than you trying to convince someone that you love something you don't
1: oh it's true yeah that that's that's true and you know that technique wouldn't work in that you are the working at the art gallery yeah and so everything and you know this is something i have told people too that Um, Unlike, let's say, large original oil painting galleries in Carmel, all of that work is consigned by artists. There's really very little investment from the gallery owner in Mm -hmm. that. But in our gallery, I specifically choose every single thing that comes into our gallery and disregard a hundred things for everything that I do choose. And thus, I honestly feel like anyone can walk into our shop at any time and throw a dart and whatever they hit, if they enjoy it, buy it, and that they're getting something of high quality, a great, mm-hmm. a great uh, piece. But basically, what we do say about it is important. There is a reason that we right. chose it, whether or not we love it or not. And that's—I I tell that to my employees all the time. You may look at something and think, "Wow, I don't really like that." You know, a good example. We, we got an artist in recently, uh, Fabiano Napoliani. Sure, of
0: course, great program
1: many people around were selling it for a long time and I would bring it in and show it to my employees. Oh, I don't know. I don't care for it. I don't like it so dark. And, you know, just, just kind of tepid uh, response from, from employees, you know, that 15 of the most respected galleries in the country sell this. Mm -hmm. That tells me a lot, whether I like it or not initially is not necessarily the barometer that we need for our clients. So of course we brought it in and you know, it's a matter of days before we have certain employees who think it's literally the greatest thing that we've ever sold. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the thing for other art gallery owners out there is just, you know, my goodness, broaden your horizons, stop putting fences about what you sell and what you don't sell and open up. As a matter of fact, when I try something that's completely counter to what typically I sell, it usually does really well. (laughs) It stands out. It, it gains attention. It becomes important because we've chosen it, mm-hmm. and and over and over in my wholesale business, when I sell to art to people, the art that I sell is very different than what they're used to selling. The you know I sell art starts at a hundred dollars, and I have high-end art galleries say so I never sell anything that. It's a very common comment. Yeah. Well, and and what I tell them is the the most successful people in selling this art are you. People come in and there's this high contrast, and they see, oh, this is important enough to be in here, and yet it's only a hundred bucks. I'll take three. Yeah. I'm give those as gifts. Whatever it is, right? I just like that for my desk. So, you know, reaching out of that box and, and trying different price points, different genres, it just, I mean, You need something,
0: did, you know, I, th- I think what happens a lot with people in business in general, not just in the gallery business, but we see it, is they confuse a core principle, or directive of what's going to be their business with things that are far more superficial than they should be. You know, my core should be just landscapes. It might mean that you're just going to have landscapes in the long run, but it shouldn't be the reason why you just have landscapes. But I'll take it even to a different place. There's a comment, I think it's Gene Siskel made this, about films. The quality, it's never about the kind of genre that the film is in. It's how it's, the story is being told that's where the real definition of the film is. There's no such thing as a Western. You know, you can't compare one Western with another. It's how the story about a bunch of people in the West is being told. You know, you can tell it the way that, that uh, Quentin Tarantino tells it, or you can tell it the way that you see it in the Clint Eastwood movie. You know, these are not the same films, and they're not really in the same genre. It's just scenery.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: But I think that's where I see people getting lost in exactly what you're talking about. They're describing too much on the outside, enough, not enough in the core center.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely fall on the opposite end of the spectrum with that, which basically I don't own an art gallery. I own uh, a morphing, changing business that sells product in a certain price range that brings joy to people. And that's my goal it just happens to be that art is where i find the most of that you know it's the product that i can sell that brings the most joy to the clients that i happen to have coming through my town you know i own a business i'm a business person and art gallery came second so and you know in secondary to that i've become an art fan myself and i see things that that do to me what I've been doing to my clients for so long. And it's only been recently, actually, that I've started to buy some pieces for my own house, which sounds strange to so many people. But, you know, it's, it's not often that something moves me. But now when it does, I take it home. And that's only within the last five years, probably out of a 25-year career. So,
0: so let me ask you two questions as we're coming into the home stretch. Yeah. First, I want to be, and you can think about this for a second, pretend it's tomorrow and tell me, is there anything that you think you would have regretted not bringing up as an important subject of your own, you know, in this conversation. The other one, don't answer it this second. The other one would be, what is it that you don't have now in your business, in in your experience of being a gallery owner or just being in the art industry in general, that you really hope you can get to before, you know, this all gets brought to a close, I'm going to say retirement, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the first one that, that we didn't really touch on, which you and I have talked about privately for, you know, years, but but it's it's the, in general, art galleries' intimidation of change and moving into the future, into the technology age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we've touched a few times on it, but, you know, the one thing that, that I would want other gallery owners to open up discussion about, is how does, how does the web affect us and how does it help us? And, you know, what do we need to be fearful of and what do we not need to be fearful of? And I've seen this huge lag behind in the art gallery business and art gallery owners in general with intimidation and fear over somebody coming in and taking what's theirs and somehow putting some up website and stealing all of their business.
0: Well, give me an example of that. What form does that take?
1: Well, you know, you have huge, uh, it's not so much anymore, but when, when the internet first came, you know, galleries hated anyone who sold anything on the internet. And I think the big misconception is, is that somehow you can go out and put up a website Uh and have a successful business. And, and it's just not true. Um, art galleries need to have websites, but really all they are, your bricks and mortar is your basis and your information gathering of your clients. And now you have the ability to give them that information in their home. That's it. And with defined rules from our vendors, me being somebody who supplies art to other art galleries and somebody who buys art from many vendors is a basic set of rules to deal with this playing field. The main big one is we settle on a price and that's it. And then the world opens up and we can really use this medium to to give our clients much better access to a lot more art. We can have them shop 24 hours a day, seven days a week in their location, wherever they are. It's something not to be intimidated by. It's something to see it for what it is. You, no one is going to come in, open up a web-based only business and take everyone's business. They shouldn't be in a web-based only business because in our business, we need to introduce people to the artwork. But if I introduce somebody to the artwork and then they happen to go into another gallery, fantastic. If somebody goes into another gallery and they happen to come into mind, fantastic. We build that whole market together. And that's what, you know, that's what I'm seeing in the, in the industry is that I'm, I'm much better friends with all these people who are quote-unquote competitors. And we're not. We just, we work on the same field and it's just changing.
0: Yeah. I just think though we're kind of getting to a point of surrender. That is a lot of our galleries very quickly said, hey, this is fantastic you know, maybe I can even get to the point where I just have a website, don't have to pay this damn rent, don't have to pay art dealers. Yeah. For And then suddenly they started learning, not suddenly after a long period of time, they started learning that, you know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I wonder if there's a guy who paints ducks Yeah. and then goes searching and finds a duck piece they love. Like, hey, it's only $2,000. And you know, and hits, you know, the buy button, it it just doesn't happen. It, for one thing, uh, people need to be wooed. Another thing, it, it robs them of a lot of the experience we were talking about, you know. So I think once they all realize that they spent a lot of money on their websites, and there was no automatic business, then they just kind of surrendered to, and this is a way my uh, business partner refers to it as hygiene, you know, yeah. You have to print business cards. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you got to right. make sure the awning in front of your gallery is washed and you have to have a decent you know, website. And I think that's wrong too. I think there's a component. It maybe is not the critical part of our business, but I think you were touching upon it, is it's a place to have a dialogue.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think one of the biggest, at least I see it from my perspective as a publisher distributor, it's part of the endorsement. Meaning, if I've been into your gallery and I saw a piece that I fell in love with, and it gets back to that part where you're giving people the endorsement of, yes, you're right, this is a piece of, you know, this is valuable art by a value- important artist. You should feel comfortable in buying it because there's, you know, not only do you see it, but I see it. I've made an investment in that artist. When they go to the, your website and they see articles and biographies and video footage of them and they know you make that site, that is another endorsement from you saying, absolutely. we're behind this. This is what we put out in the
1: world. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, and it's changing. And those who have adapted, uh, both vendors and galleries are seeing success. And things are finally settling down in that arena. Jeez, open up that dialogue. Call me and let's talk about it. You know, it's, yeah. it, it is a great uh, thing for us, but it's not as threatening as everyone perceives it to be.
0: Well, I know Amazon's going to be in for a big surprise eventually. So you've told me a lot of great lessons that you learned along the way. But what you haven't mentioned was, is there any that you got wrong first? You know, the ones that I'll never do that again.
1: Yeah, the the things that come to mind are uh, not recognizing great employees when I had them. Mm Mm-hmm and not recognizing horrible employees sooner. When I think back on on my career, everything's gone well. There's been a couple of points when there have been people which I dearly miss that I should have done more to keep them. And there's been some people that I should have gotten separated from even, even quicker. Um, that's, that's one thing that comes to mind. The, I guess the second would be assuming that highly successful lines uh, were much more bound to my <laughs> perceived genius as opposed to good fortune in, in many ways. It's it's like.
0: Uh, well, let me ask you: Do you think you could dis- distinguish that in the future? I mean,
1: yes, and I'll tell you why. You know, the 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 biggest thing, the, the the biggest story that comes to mind is you know we we did really well with with those bronze frogs, with Frogman, with Tim Cotter, a good friend yeah. of mine, been selling his work for many many years. At one point, we got to the point where we sold uh, almost two million dollars of his product retail in one year. Jesus. And I thought that you know, that I was, some sort I really of, had
0: no idea that it
1: was really big and it's still, it's still yeah. a great product, but, and, and I love him and I love those frogs they are fantastic. But, uh, I assumed at that point that I was some sort of genius in finding this and, and doing this. And, and what I realized was, uh, you know, as, shortly after we did that, uh, for a period of time, that company decided to sell direct online mm-hmm. and actually, cut out all of the galleries for a period of time. And so I, I, I went from extreme success to nothing overnight. And then I, re, I, I, I didn't realize at that point that continuous change is necessary in our business. Products come, they're successful. Some are successful for a year, some are successful for three, some are successful for five, very few are successful for 10 or more. Recognizing that that's just the reality of the situation And that we need to constantly be shifting and changing and moving and not resting on our laurels with a certain lines of product and and i don't do that anymore i mean i i have great lines and i focus on them but i'm always looking for something new always Mm -hmm. always if it's successful now it's not important to me that's great but that's the past already of course we still focus our energy on it but putting those feelers out there for something that's new and realizing that, that it's a wave that moves through and things will change. Sometimes artists can change their own lines within themselves and they need to do that as well. They need to keep pushing forward and moving. You can't do the same thing over mm-hmm. and over and over and over again. It'll be slow. It will peak. And then it will be slow again. I wish I would have recognized that earlier. And I, you know, we went through a period just as all the galleries did in this economic downturn, where we all got hit really hard. And I think most of us almost went out of business. And I think one of the reasons we went out of business is we were so flush and everything was so good that we just thought this is gonna be like this forever. And, and it's not the case. And had we been consistently used to moving and progressing through that period, I think we would have gone through the slower period a little bit, little bit better.
0: When we hit that time in 2008, 2009, the obvious thing happened. Everybody got more conservative in addition to the stupid decisions like I was mentioning of trying to sell stuff you couldn't sell before, they looked at them and said, you know what, I'm selling a ton of Kincaid. That's always been my bread and butter. Or I sell, uh, you know, Goddard or whatever that program was that was at the core of their business. And I think a lot of people doubled down on it. I said, this is not a time to experiment. You know, people are really tight with their money. They're only going to go with the secure, true and proven you know, and, and so I've got to keep on delivering to them the thing that I know, you know, they're already dialed into. And maybe that was absolutely the opposite move to make. I'm just playing off of what you're saying. Yeah. And that is, maybe that was the easiest thing when you were tightening the your belt to not buy. I already own a Kincaid. I already own a Goddard. I, you know, my neighbors already have that piece. It's, you know, it's an easy thing for me to not buy because I've already kind of had that trip. I've been there. Whereas maybe if we showed up and with entirely new, exciting things, absolutely, that at least it was something they couldn't say they've already done.
1: It, yeah, you have to do that. You have to have every time somebody comes into your shop, you have to have them say, "Wow, I've, yeah. never, I've never seen anything like that." And and that's that's it. I mean, we're we're little entertainment shops as well as art galleries and if we're not consistently trying something new and if we're not consistently changing ourselves and you know success does that to you success makes you rest on your laurels you you this works and and, and we assume it's going to work tomorrow but you have to take the things that aren't working and be aggressive in trying something that's completely out of the box Did
0: you just call it entertainment shops is that your turn?
1: That, yeah, that's how I feel like. I love uh, you know, that. It is. And, and well, you know, and I, I've, I've told people that with a lot of our product isn't our best selling stuff. Yeah. But I hope that people will come in and say, wow, oh, here's the goal. The goal is somebody comes in, sees something and says, that's fantastic. I've got to show my friend. That's it. That's it. It's fantastic enough. Whether they want to buy it or not, they want to show it to somebody else. And, or, or I smile.
0: Mm-hmm. or I laugh,
1: or maybe I cry. That's not really a good retail area to jump into in the art uh, area, or it scares the hell out of me. That's another one. Uh, Provokes emotion. Most of the stuff that, that we sell, I want to be an entertainment. I want to be, be something that moves people in a positive and good way enough that they want to share it with somebody else. And, and that's a big key to a product. Somebody comes in and says, this is fantastic. I got to go get my husband. He's going to love this. But if we can get them excited about that, they come in, then they get excited about other stuff.
0: You see, this is exactly what I was talking about. I think you just nailed it right there, and and much better than I did. When I was commenting to you that the mistake that a lot of gallery owners have when replying to you talking about their limitations, you know, we show this, we don't show that. And I said, well, you have to know what your core is, not the accoutrements of it. That's a perfect example of what your core is. I think in some ways it should be everybody's core. But you've identified yourself. I'm an entertainment business or shop, as you said, yeah. which I love. And that makes it really easy to make any to measure everything that comes in your door as a potential thing you're gonna hang on your wall. Is it entertaining? Does that function in that most basic way? And I don't care if it's a picture of an ocean or a picture of a clown or a picture, you know, in the abstract, or a glass of wine being smashed, or whatever it is, will this entertain me and will this entertain others? Yeah. And it, it seems like a really reasonable measuring stick to use on anything.
1: No, and that's true for us as the galleries. That's true for the artists that are out there. Uh-huh. You know, they, and that's my main advice for artists that are out there. Put it in front of people. Is it entertaining them? Yeah. Are, are they enjoying it? That's your first litmus test. And then the second is, are they buying it? So if they love it and it's entertaining them, but they aren't buying it, then we got to look at something. What, what is it that we need to look at or adjust? But, but if it's really good, but no one's looking at it and no one's entertained by it, it's only good to you. And, and if you want to do this as a business, then something needs to change. You know, if anything, and if I could change anything about my gallery, I'd be recognizing that earlier mm-hmm. and being even more experimental. You know, with that, you have to be very liberal in what you get rid of as well, which is difficult. I worked with somebody recently and they said, I've been working with the same artist for 10 years. How am I supposed to tell one of those artists that I'm not going to represent them anymore? And my answer was, you don't have to. Right, because you'll be out of business. You don't have to tell them anything. Yeah, right. There's you know, two just, ways of doing this. You just close your doors, <laughs> and you know, you guys yeah. can both go hang out together. Right. Because you have plenty of time. You know, or you can tell them, uh, do them a good service, and say, you know, your your work is fantastic. Unfortunately, it's not selling anymore. Can we talk about why? Can we come up with something different, something exciting, something new? Yeah. And uh, those that are willing to work with you should stay, and those that aren't, they need to. Find somewhere else.
0: Yeah, you're doing them no favors. No. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end it there. I think. Excellent. and I, and I want to thank you. This has been great. This thank has you. has been a real fun. I knew this going in would be pretty much what it became. This yeah. really valuable conversation.
1: Excellent. It was really fun.
0: Did you uh, Did you hear any of the noises in the background? I don't know if I explained this. Uh, We do these conversations on the fly wherever we can record them. Often that means the back rooms of, uh, of art galleries. Sometimes that's been even hotel rooms with blasting air conditioners in the background just because it's a heat wave and we have to make a choice. In this particular case, we decided not to record it in Thad's gallery. We went to a coffee house next door. Of course... Throughout our conversation, people kept on coming into the little space that we had kind of got ourselves into as an upstairs sort of loft space that usually folks didn't go to. And uh, also, there was construction going on outside. Uh, but despite that, I think we had a fantastic conversation, and I think uh, we were able to keep those noises down to a minimum, at least I hope so. So I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Thad very much for making for a great talk before we get out of here, I just want to make some last requests of you. First of all, give some thought, give some love to our sponsors, Relevant Communications, found at relevantcommunications.net. Uh, the folks at Redwood Media Group, who have their next upcoming show, being Art Expo in New York City. That can be found at artexpo artexponewyork.com. And, of course, the fine folks at Art World News, all I can say about that is, if you should be advertising, advertise in that magazine. And if you should be keeping up on the business, well, you should be doing that there, too. And the last, that little jingle-jingle, that little shake-shake of our tip jar here over at the Art dealer Show. And as usual, I mean that only metaphorically. We're not looking for a penny, so uh, relax the hands in the pockets. But if you are enjoying this podcast, if you like it and you want to support it and you want to make sure more people know about it and that it keeps on going on, there's a way you can do that and there's a way you can help us out and there's a way to say thank you. And it's two very easy things. The first, subscribe believe it or not, iTunes keeps track of that. They can see how many people subscribe to the podcast. Now, the best place to subscribe is at iTunes itself, but that doesn't matter. You can subscribe anywhere, whether it's on Google Play or it's on Stitcher or whatever it is, is the easiest way that you use to catch podcasts. Please go there and hit that subscribe button. The other one, the other ones review the podcast go on over to the iTunes, say some nice things if you can, but even if you can't, all you have to do is click that star rating. I hope it's five. Understand if it's not. Matter of fact, if it's not, don't go there. Forget what I'm saying. Just a racist podcast and go away. But if you like it, please go ahead and do that. So until we meet again over here at the Art Dealer Bar, i like to wish you big coconuts falling from the sky the size of elephant collectors and I'd like to say a very good night to you my art dealer friends good night this has been The Art Dealer Show you can find out more about The Art Dealer Show at artdealer.show you can also join us in just about every form of social media at the handle you guessed it Art Dealers show.